it's a patriarchal system mm. and it is built upon men and sports being the entertainment. And that is what people expect. And then it exploded into this conversation about the entertainment value of sports and that men play sports faster, more aggressively, and they're more entertaining. And my response, mm. and, mm-hmm, <laughs> and my response was, my response was, well, if you're only used to seeing men play sports primarily, that's the only pace you know. Hey, Diversity Disruptors. Today we're talking sports. I'm Sable Badaki, and I'm your host of the HR For Her podcast. I'm talking today to Kai Leitner, and that's the voice you just heard, who's going to be sharing with us so many different insights. I found it so interesting, his perspective on gender sports. Now, if you're like me, we pretty much grew up with the boys team and the girls team. What Kai is going to talk about in this conversation of why that's not the only way we can look at setting up team. He challenges this idea of having teams set up boys and girls. And I thought it was a very fascinating conversation. He talked about even how as youth, girls are experiencing microaggressions early on as they get into sports and how that's really impacting us. And I know for us, many of us have looked at sports as a great activity for our children. And also we look at and we have seen the impact of sports on women in leadership when we look at the C-suite. But he now today is going to explore to us why sometimes the microaggressions that we children experience or girls are experiencing early on can really impact them. This was such a great and enlightening conversation. Kai not only works with sports, but he's a gender diversity consultant and has his own agency, Quantum Gender. So everyone, sit back, get out your pen and paper because there's a lot to learn. And most of all, don't forget to stay in to the end so you can hear my three takeaways. We may be talking sports, but I'm going to give you three takeaways that you can use in your practice that you can be able to offer to your clients. Or if you are a diversity practitioner in corporate, these same offerings can be used for you to be able to start growing your organization so they can actually increase their bottom line by using your diverse staff in a more productive way. So stay tuned so you can hear the full episode. Hello, Diversity Disruptors. You are in for a super treat today because we have Cage Leitner with us today. Did I mess up your name? Because I'm always messing up names. All right. So look at that, guys. I got this name right. And so he is coming to share with us from the sports industry. We have been talking to so many diversity consultants and practitioners about what's happening um, and how we're improving the workplace for women. But we have not talked to anyone yet in the sports industry. And if you have been looking at anywhere in the newspapers, you know the entertainment and the sports industry are being impacted just as much, if not more, than in corporate. And so that's why we feel it's so imperative to bring him on to share with us. He has over 20 years of experience. I know he looks like he's only 20, but he has he comes with us with loads of experience and he's going to be sharing from that place. So welcome so much to HR for us. HR for Thank her. You. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. Well, great. Well, he is going to be sharing. So before we even kick off into all the questions about sports, we just want to hear from you. What is your uh, definition when you think of gender diversity? 
Well, when I think of gender diversity, I think of a full spectrum of practically infinite amounts of ways to identify in gender, not just looking at men and women. And is there a diversity of men and women in the workforce or on a sports team? But are there a diverse number of people that are expressing their gender in different ways and their presentation in different ways? True diversity, seeing lots of differences mm -hmm. Um, uh, even within a, a small group of people, there can be lots of differences of way people express their gender. Um, gender to me is definitely not binary. It's not just two things. It is a whole spectrum of things. And so that's really what I look at when I, when I think about gender diversity. Well, great. Now, if you guys need some definitions on those words, binary, non-binary, gender expression, gender identity, Check out the episode that we went through all of these words. So he's talking to us today about sports. And one of the things um, I want to just kick off with, we know um, in the sports industry, especially for women, there, there, there's inequities in so many different areas. And I would love for you to just share with us, what are some of the areas that you have experienced in your work? And just talk to us for a few minutes about your work as well, your coaching sure. work and what you're doing and some of the areas where you have seen blatant inequities when it comes to women in sports. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, um, it's kind of a, a stepping system of inequities where it starts out with the youngest ages of kids playing in sports and that our sports teams are set up for boys and they're set up for girls. And, um, there's different kinds of, um, foundations and rules that are almost applied to those. Even though people think, oh, it's just kids playing sports. Mm. There's certain ways that we expect boys to play sports and certain ways we expect girls to play sports. And as the transgender person who grew up as a young girl playing sports, um, I was either told I was being too aggressive as a girl or I wasn't skilled enough um, or I didn't belong here because this is where the boys play. Um, and so I was given all sorts of messages about where I belonged in sports. And so if we give those messages to young girls about where they belong or don't belong, um, that just kind of uh, mm -hmm. continues on as you go up into coaching, right? If you're a, like myself, I started coaching at the age of 15. Um, I just loved it. I fell in love with it. I saw very few other female identified coaches mm -hmm. in, in and around me. Um, I'll give you an example. Yeah. And still, and that's the problem is you still don't see it. And I'll give you an example. When I was 23 years old, I was getting my C-level national coaching license, which is a pretty, pretty big deal in the coaching world. It's a multi-day um, event. You're, you're coming out and working with all sorts of coaches. You're working with national level coaches. There was myself as a transgender person. I didn't identify as trans at the time, but I was kind of in that non-binary space. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't fit in in that way at all, right? I didn't see any people like that around me. <laughs> but then I only saw two or three other women who were there as coaches out of a group of 30 coaches. And the rest were guys. And so right there, just as a person who's transgender or non-binary, I don't see anyone around me that looks like me that I can connect with. Or even as somebody who identifies as a woman, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't see many people around you. So there's so few role models and representations of what it means to be in the industry as a woman or as a non-binary person or as a trans person that all we have to look at is what are the men doing and how do you do it 
like the men because mm. that's the role models that are out there, right? So it's a lack of role models starting at the youngest ages all the way up into the coaching mm. industry. Um, when you get into the higher levels of coaching, it gets much, much more expensive. And we know that women are making, you know, the, the numbers vary, but anywhere from 60 cents to 75 cents to the dollar of men. And so we know that women are going to have a harder time paying those higher um, coaching license fees. And so that's another barrier that keeps women um, out of the, the coaching industry. I mean, it just, Sable, it goes on and on and on. And wow. I know a lot of your folks that are listening are in corporate world or are coming from lots of different industries. It's the same rules that apply in all sorts of industries. Women are just not given as many opportunities and there's more barriers in front of them because we're talking about a binary system of gender that is based on patriarchy and that is based on men who created the system. And so they are the ones that made the rules, even though you'll come across plenty of men who say, I want it to be different. How do I make it different for women? The problem is the system. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. set up to benefit men. And, and that's if we the don't same fix that, yeah. If we don't fix the system, if we don't deal with that, then it just, you know, perpetuates. It just continues to go on and on. So you make a very good point in the fact that if you're already uh, not making the the kind of money, you can't afford those higher fees. Um, So you almost kind of are tapped out at a particular level where you're not even able to maximize your income only because the income that you're making already that's unequal to anyone else is, uh, yes. is what's holding you back. So it's almost like this whole okay. snowball. It just, yeah, exactly. yeah, a cycle. Yeah, that just is yep. happening. So one of the areas yep. you talked about um, now is pay. So, you know, we see the difference in pay. We don't see a lot of uh, women. We don't see women plus. We just basically um, are seeing men down and not this fair. What do you think about in media? Because I was reading that basically this 40% of the people who are playing sports are women. But only mm-hmm. six to seven percent of the media coverage is actually going to men, to women in sports. And so, how is yeah. that also affecting uh, women in terms of getting the the kind of pay that they want if no one even knows that they're playing? Yeah, and that gets into the whole spectrum of of sponsorships and what companies are paying for, you know, commercial spots on those TV programs that are showing men's sports. It all comes into the same package. I was just having a conversation, I hate to admit this, on Twitter about <laughs> this very thing. I try not to get involved in Twitter conversations. I just <laughs> they sucked a, you in somehow. Oh man, I got reeled in. And the, the conversation was exactly about this. Somebody posted on Twitter a question, which was great, of why is it that we don't see more women's sports slash minorities? We can mm-hmm. talk about mm-hmm. a larger spectrum, but we see, you know, predominantly male dominated sports on TV. Is it a lack of coverage? Is it a lack of money? Or is it both combined? And I got into that conversation and said exactly what I just said, which is it's a patriarchal system Mm. and it is built upon men and sports being the entertainment. And that is what people expect. And then it exploded into this conversation about the entertainment value of sports and that men play sports faster, more aggressively, and they're more entertaining. And my response was, was, well... If you're only used to seeing men play sports primarily, that's the only pace you know. 
That's the pace of the sport that we know. And then you start comparing it to women who are playing sports and you say, oh, that's slower and that's boring. Well, if we saw more diversity of pace of play, then there would just be more acceptance of this is how this game's played at this speed and it looks different at this speed. And you would recognize and be appreciative of the sport being played in just different ways, not comparing this is how men play, this is how women play. And we see that, was- that over and over again with so many um, things that, you know, will, will you know, the, be assertive, be aggressive, negotiate yep. hard, uh, exactly. have a presence. And so once again, that's all compared to what some man is doing. They're asking women to do it. I actually had uh, talked about on a a video or a podcast where, you know, like we're not broken. Don't try to fix us. So there we are again in fixing yep. women. Let's try to fix women so they can be more like men. So I love that point that you're making. If you're only seeing sports as a particular way and that becomes your standard, that becomes your bar. And so what you do is now you compare everything against that as opposed to looking at women's sports and saying, wow, this is different. And and appreciating the differences that you have to that. And it doesn't have to be compared. We don't have to say, well, men do it this way and women do it this way. So one of the things I heard you talk about was the fact that maybe we can consider, um, because right now sports is very, you know, there's a men's team and there's a women's team. And I heard you mention mm-hmm. that, that that's not our only option. So talk a little bit about that. What are our other options instead of just having a men and women's team? Well, I think that there could be a third option where it can either be a, a, a blending of men and women on one team and boys and girls. We can talk about, you know, ages uh, of different ages of mm-hmm. kids playing together. And that that gives um, another option for not only people who may not identify as men or women to find a place that's more um, neutral because everybody's mixed together, um, but it's also allowing especially for kids. And I'll give you an example in a minute. It's allowing kids, especially to play together in one environment and to learn from each other that there's not as big a difference between them as athletes as they're told. Kids are told a lot of things, especially boys are told a lot of things about how girls play sports. Hmm. Girls aren't as fast. They're not as aggressive. They're not as good. They don't have as much skill. Boys are told this over and over and over again. And so you get them out on the field together, the court together, and you put them together and they start playing. And that girl goes and dribbles, you know, circles <laughs> around them or makes that layup. How and they're happen? like, what? How? I don't understand. And I've witnessed that with kids. I've been coaching since I was 15 and I have witnessed kids have their minds blown, particularly boys, because it is a whole new world for them to realize that girls can be athletes and be talented. Hmm. So you, by, by putting uh, kids and adults together, they get to experience that situation together and they get to unpack some of those uh, rules they think are so set in stone. They get to, to really dismantle it right there on the spot. Um, I, don't, I am not um, saying that we need to get rid of gendered sports. There's been a lot of criticism that I've gotten when I've spoken publicly about this. Like, well, mm-hmm. we people need to have their own teams. I totally agree. I think there's a whole lot of benefit for all girls, no matter if they are a cisgender girl or a transgender girl, girls who identify as girls playing together is huge. It's empowering. It's got so much benefit to it. And same with boys. I really appreciate those aspects. 
but we can't just have that as the only two options. There's got to be another option that's based on um, athleticism. And the, the club that I started, Portland Community Football Club in Portland, Oregon, we are a club that is um, specifically geared towards serving immigrant, low-income, and refugee kids mm-hmm. to play soccer, to play high-quality soccer. Part of what we've done is make all of our teams co-ed. So we've got kids playing together on these teams from six years old up to 16 years old. So I've personally witnessed over the seven years of running this organization, these kinds of um, new learnings happening for these kids. And what has happened is that we are putting kids together based on, are you of equal talent? Not, are you a girl who's Mm -hmm, as good as these mm -hmm. boys, but are you of equal talent? And that's what we should be talking about when we're talking about sports. Now, where it gets really complicated, and I admit that it's complicated, is when we start talking about physical bodies. Mm-hmm. And you start talking about bodies who've got testosterone running through them, like I do, because I give myself a shot once a week to t- have testosterone running through my body at a higher level. And you've got bodies that are estrogen, right? And those two chemicals, those two hormones make physical bodies different. There's no mm-hmm. way to deny that. Mm-hmm. But there's not such as there's not as big of a difference as people want to believe or think that there is. When you start to really narrow it down into athletic talent, you will find that there is more commonality between high level athletes who have trained at the same level, who have given the same amount of effort in their training. You will find that they can compete almost close, closer than we believe that they can. But we in our society really, really, really hold on to this idea that men are like this, women are like this. Mm. And really there's so much more of a, a, um, a scale than, than people want to believe. So let's talk a little bit more about that because I know that is a very controversial topic. And um, until you started to share that level of detail about the bodies, because um, we all agree that the bodies are totally different, but that once they have the same amount of training that tap athletes, are we saying that they basically can perform at the same level and have the same strength? Because I think it's the strength that we think about, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yep. when we think about something like football, are we really saying that um, a woman, you know, someone who has estrogen, who's running estrogen totally through their body, can now compete on the same field against someone who is having a uh, test. What is a tester? I can't testosterone. Even, thank you. Testosterone running through their body. That Are we saying that that's going to be okay? This is where it gets so complicated. Um, I can't say, obviously, that, that we could just throw everyone together on the field okay. and everyone's going to be fine, right? Because that, that, this, is where, this is where we have to let go of these binary ideas. And that's, that's my goal, is to get people to start thinking about gender and these experiences within sports as something that is specific to the sport, specific to the athlete, Mm. um, and specific to the scenarios. So in tackle football, there is a a semi-professional women's tackle football team in Portland, Oregon. I have gone and watched them play. Mm -hmm. Those players are just as big and just as aggressive as male tackle football. Now, their level of play may be different because their bodies move in a different way. Mm-hmm. So to, to put them on the same field may not be the right fit, but there might be a couple of players in that women's tackle football team who are athletically talented enough 
have enough skill and have trained at a high enough level, they could go play with some men. Not okay. all of them, okay. but there could be some exceptions. So that's my point is that we can't just apply this like flat rule of you have testosterone in your body, you have estrogen in your body. This means you can only play this way. This means you can only play that way. Okay. There is so much more gradation to it that we don't take into consideration. And what's happening is we now have, I think, 14 states in this country that are looking at banning transgender girls from playing sports. And so we've got this concept of it's either this or that, and there's no in between. So, yeah, so that's going to cause like a challenge for a whole group of of girls and women who want to play, who probably, you know, um, have and have a certain level of skill because usually it's, you know, they probably were already playing, have already been trained and now want to continue doing what they're going to be doing. And so this Mm -hmm. option of blended teams or either um, just, yeah, I guess blended teams or looking at people and kind of saying all across all boards, kind of saying, Hey, what's your, what's your level of talent? That's, this is where you go. Maybe something. So that's a whole disruption to the sports industry, which it is. could definitely use some disruption. I mean, it's been <laughs> running this way for a long time. Um, and we definitely need to look at that. So yeah. um, because really any industry that continuously is paying uh, any group of people, and in this case, women, at such a lower uh, amount, we have to look at that. And we're not getting the coverage. So I want to go back to that, the coverage and the sponsorship and the pay. Because what is the linkage between that? Because you're thinking that, can we really ask for them to get the same money if they don't have the same level of sponsorship? Because where is that money going to come come from? Yeah, <sighs> it all comes back to this, this system. Everything always cycles back to this system of, um, of patriarchy. And, and I know when, when people hear folks like me say the the term patriarchy, they're like, ah, God, would you stop (laughs) blaming it on patriarchy? And I'm not trying to lay blame on anything. I'm uh, all I'm doing is I'm speaking purely to the fact of how our society is structured and people benefit in this structure more than other people. And there's a million different ways we can talk about that. But when we're talking about the coverage of women's sports, it is coming from capitalism. So it is coming from where is the most money being going to be made on the coverage of these sports? Who's going to, how many more eyeballs are going to be on the men's sports than the women's sports? And it's assumed that there's going to be more eyeballs on those men's sports because they are more entertaining. Hmm particularly tackle football, right? They just go and blast the bajillions out of each other. (laughs) And it's just the most entertaining thing ever. And I used to watch tackle football all the time when I was a kid. And, and we think that that is the only way that we can categorize entertainment. And again, it goes back to that comparison because then we try to compare women and we're saying, well, it's slower. It's not as aggressive. Since when does the speed and aggression of sports equate to entertainment? Why Mm. is that the standard of entertainment? Why can the standard not be, are they a talented team? Do they play well together? I I specifically think of women's soccer when I think of these two comparisons. Um, When you're looking at women's soccer, you see far less women falling all over the place, grabbing (laughs) their knee, grabbing their head, like they've just been absolutely dismembered. And you see much more of women, um, they do less of that and they do more of, 
moving the ball quicker, um, making more strategic play. It's not as it's not looking to just dra- drive the ball down the field as quickly as you can. There's some more strategy to it. And there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But what that can equate to in the fans mind often is this isn't as exciting. I'm not seeing men just flying all over the field. Mm. We have to change our standard of what is deemed as entertainment. And the only way to do that is to get more people watching different kinds of sports. Um, I don't have a quick answer to that. I'm not in the, you know, sponsorship. Wait, field. I mean, you've, you've given us some parameters and some things that we can think about, you know, yeah. about choosing by talent versus choosing by gender. Um, I mean, that's, that's definitely, I don't think anyone's really thought about it to that perspective. It's, you know, it's just basically the men and the women. And so when we think about, I think we missed an opportunity when it came to women to soccer, especially here in the United States, because as soccer was introduced to Americans, I mean, we know that soccer uh, and is called football in so many other countries, right? That's what they call football. So I love the way that's you why I have. That's why you call it tackle football, right? Yeah, exactly. And so we know that this game just really caught fire, if you know, and still catching fire, probably within the last 10 years. I think it was the the World Cup being here that really got the attention. That was a great opportunity if we had given the equal coverage to women, to women's soccer team, if we gave equal coverage as we did to the men's soccer team, for us to really get on what you're talking about now, the level playing field of sponsorships, getting people to understand the way we play, um, seeing the diversity from the very beginning. But again, we got people hooked on a particular, I want to say like drug, you know, a particular way of doing things yeah. and that addiction to that yep. speed, that uh, collision uh, happening, or just all the things that were happening Um just, you know, some of the behavior that we see, all of that attributes to this is how this sport is played. Mm-hmm. And so when exactly. people, so we allowed someone to define for us, this is how this sport is played. And when we don't see that definition, there's a rejection. And so the media has a huge part to play in this mm-hmm. by giving mm-hmm. uh, women the exposure that they need. So we can say, this is how it's played. Look at us. Yep. This is how it's played. It's not only played one way. Exactly. And, and the media can, they spin the narrative, right? We, mm. we all know how the media, um, for good or for bad or for indifferent, not, not in any value statement, just, a, a, again, a statement of fact that, that we get our information and our knowledge about things from how the media talks about it. And, you know, the, the, women's, uh, the U.S. women's national soccer team is one of the most highly decorated uh, international teams around the world. They have won uh, more, more World Cups and more Olympic gold medals than the men's team at, by, by just a long shot. Mm-hmm. And they, are, they have gotten more recognition for that. But if it was, I like to do thought experiments. I like to think about the opposite. I like to think about, well, if the men's team won all those World Cups and all those Olympic gold medals, what do you think our country would know and think of the men's world, the men's yeah. team? They would, yeah. It would be a national treasure, even yes. though that sport yes. is not seen as the national treasure, right? That sport <laughs> is so made fun of in this country. There are plenty of people that think soccer is a ridiculous sport in this country. But if our men's team had risen to the level of success that our women's team in the, in the national level had gotten to, 
it would be a whole different idea mm-hmm. about who that team is. That is how we have to think. That is how you have to think about sports. You have to, to think about what would it look like if the men were doing this and think about how would it look differently? That's how you know there's inequality. That's how you know that there's a difference is that you can recognize by none, by far, the men are going to have a, a bigger platform, more sponsorships, more money. <clears throat> I wrote an article within the last six months or so on the whole lawsuit that the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team put out yeah, um, yeah. towards the U.S. Federation. And I encourage you to go into my website, cageleitner.com, and Spoken Words. Um, it's under a tab called My Thoughts. And what I wrote about was the blatant sexism that the U.S. Soccer Federation mm-hmm. just laid out as their reason for women not earning as much money. And it was based purely on athleticism and physicality. They said that women are not as physical. They don't have the physically demanding of a job in playing on the women's national team. They don't deserve the same money. I'm simplifying like an incredible amount, but I mean, that's in the, one sense, the your, your physical body determines your talent, right? So that is sexism. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, if you think about it in any job, how well you do the job, how well you perform determines yes. your salary, your pay, your opportunities. Not if I came in at six to 350 pounds, it's we don't care what your size is, get the job done. So women have been getting the job done on the soccer team. And now we say, well, your small size doesn't equate for anything. You know, your size has disqualified you from yep. making more money, even though you're getting the job done better than the people who have a larger uh, frame in you. I mean, that's just, yep. I, I don't know. I don't want to, if I said crazy, that just sounds too small of a way to even describe how this situation is. I just, I can't even believe that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I saw we lost a lawsuit and I'm going to say we, because, you know, anytime a woman lo- loses, you know, I lost, yeah. two. you know, I, I, I saw that and I was just so disheartened and I'm, and but they, I'm glad they, that they took the boldness to actually put it up. They did. Um, and they've applied yeah. for an appeal. Um, yes. It is still yes. in an appeal. So it's not gone away. Um, but I highly recommend anyone who's interested in this, go read the article that I wrote, go look up what's going on. It's way more complex than what you and I are even talking about, Sable. But the, the crux of it is, is that it is a sexist policy that they are mm. upholding and they are being absolutely blatant about it. They are not hiding it. <laughs> they're not, they're not trying to keep it under wraps. They're just saying flat out men are better than women at this, at this sport and we won't pay you. I don't know if they're saying men are better than women. They're just saying men are bigger than women because we just showed well, that we are better than them. <laughs> equating equating to better is the problem. You saying know, they're, we yeah, just showed them that we're better playing it. They're just bigger than us, but we're better yeah. playing it. Oh my gosh, yeah. this has been so interesting and exciting. I, um, I know our community um, probably has so many different questions and probably have a lot more questions to ask you that I, you know, just didn't have time in this short time because this is such an important issue that we cannot let it go away. We can't ignore it. We can't sleep it under the rug. So I just want to ask you, like, what, what should I have asked that I didn't have an opportunity or you would love to share? What information would you love to share with us? Um, you know, we talked about a lot of things that I think covered a lot of what I do. Um, I think it's important for people to know that I have taken my experience as a coach and as a transgender person, and I have blended them into two of my own businesses. So I run the nonprofit soccer club, 
for low-income immigrant and refugee kids in Portland. And then I run a consulting business called Quantum Gender that does exactly what we're doing today. I come in and I talk about gender and the concepts of gender diversity and getting people to start thinking about gender in whole new ways that really expand their use and understanding of the language and the ideas and the concepts. And I am a transgender person who was saved by sports. I, my life was saved. I owe an, my entire debt of gratitude of life to the world of sports. And I want to see the world of sports be a place where everyone feels accepted and welcomed and seen and can see themselves in it. And it's about breaking down this binary. It's about looking at gender in a whole new way to get to that place. And it's so contradictory by not doing that because sports is all about, te- you know, like uh, teamwork in togetherness, in respect, in not the I, but the team, you know? So it's so contradictory when we do alienate um, someone from being able to participate. So one of our other questions we'd love to ask everyone, um, what is your hashtag that you would like to use for gender diversity? Um, I love uh, break the binary, hashtag break the binary. Mm. And two Two will never be enough. That's kind of a long one for hashtags. I'm trying to figure out an acronym, but it's it's my tagline for my business. Two will never be enough. It's just a statement of we got to get out of the idea of only two genders being acceptable. Yeah, and I, and I love it. You know, break the binary, and both of those go to, totally to what you're talking about in terms of sports. Because if the binary is broken, and if we recognize that there's more than just um, two genders, then we would also have an opportunity to be more inclusive um, when we're talking about sports as well. So that's very good as well. So we're now going to hand you the HR magic wand. So we're passing the baton to you. <laughs> that's right, wave it. And to tell us, um, what policy would you go ahead and change now that the wand is in your hand? Well, what I would love to see happen is that now that we have the Supreme Court decision that upheld the civil rights um, statement of um, LGBTQ identity um, in the workplace is protected under civil rights um, title number seven, we now need to see within HR some real teeth behind that. Mm -hmm. So it's great that the Supreme Court said it. I hope it holds true. I hope that we get to hold on to that. Same with same-sex marriage. But when we're looking at what is it actually like for people in the everyday workplace, how are they experiencing their um, ability to be out, to be who they are, to express their gender in the way that they want? Are they really getting protections and really getting their, their company and their HR department behind them full-heartedly to protect them based on these, um, these new laws. And let me give you two examples of what that can look like, where it can go wrong mm-hmm. um, that people may not think of. So if a male-identified employee is fired because they are being told that they're too effeminate, that is a problem. That is now illegal. That is illegal under this new Supreme Court-held law. Um, same with not promoting a female-identified employee because they're not wearing makeup or they're not subscribing Mm -hmm. to this idea of femininity in your company. Those things, those little moments that seem little to some folks are really big to us trans and LGBTQ folks. Those are now deemed unlawful in our country, but you have to be an HR person who's willing to stand up and say, this is how it is. We're not going to allow that anymore. So if I had the magic wand, that would be what would, would be happening. And I like that because it's one thing for the law to pass. You know, I always say that, 
um, in this work that we're doing, there's two parts of it. It's the culture, and then it's also the, the policies and procedures. So we have yeah. the law. Now we need to create culture and, and implement the law and create an environment where people are not hiding so they can actually live out the law. Because if you yeah. have the law and people are still in hiding because they're not really sure because the culture is still not accepting, the culture is still not saying it's okay, um, you know, you can, they're going to not self-identify. And so therefore, exactly. um, we can't even measure if it was effective because no one's, you know, we're like, oh, we implemented and nothing happened because people are still hiding because our culture denies. Our culture says, don't you dare tell us who you are. We're not interested. Right. So that is exactly. uh, that is just so um, good. I love that. Uh, those two. Thanks again so much for joining us. Um, how can people reach out to you? You gave us your site earlier. If you could just give that yeah. to us one more time, um, sure. I would love for them to be able to reach out and read that article and you know just hear more from you. I think you just come with such a wealth of knowledge. Thanks, Sable. That's really sweet of you. Um, so cageleitner.com is how you can find me really easily. You can see the spelling of my name here on the, the screen from Zoom. Um, so just go to that website and you'll see lots of different resources that I have under my, um, my thoughts tab. That's where you're going to find articles that I've written and other podcasts that I've done, other interviews that I've done. And I also did a whole YouTube series over the last uh, couple of months called Intoxicating Privilege, mm. where I talk about my own experiences of all the privileges that I hold as a white person and as somebody who's seen as a white straight man. I get into all those layers in seven different episodes. Um, so you can listen to that. You can play that for your colleagues, for your friends. And it's a great discussion starter to start to talk about all the different ways that privilege uh, experiences in, in our country. I love the title, Intoxicating. Ooh, it's intoxicating. <laughs> intoxic White male privilege is intoxicating. Intoxicating. I tell you. I really, I, I really love that. I'll come back. I'll come back and talk about that some other time. Yeah, so. we have to hear more about that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much yeah. for all those who are in our HR for Inner Circle. He has left a gift for us. So you're good, you'll be able to get that special gift for us. Thanks, you guys, so much again. So before you go, here are my takeaways from today's session. I want us to think about genderless standards, and it's going to be really uh, a challenging thing for us to do. Understanding that everything that we do usually is based on the standard, usually it's based on a model or a framework, and then we kind of build that out. So I know we talk a lot about inclusive language and gender-friendly uh, language or gender-neutral language, but what I want us to think about even further than that is when you're thinking about genderless standards as well. So this is something that I want you to consider when you're offering something to a client. Hey, Mr. Mrs. Corporate, how about me coming in and doing an audit on everything that you're doing and seeing how gender is maybe impacting some of the decisions that you're making? I know that we have so many different tools out there where we can decode job descriptions to see how they may be masculine or how they may be feminine, but there's other things that we can do as well. So job descriptions is one. That's an offering that you can have. Going into a client's office and asking, how can I audit your job descriptions or helping them to build gender neutral language or giving them a gender neutral dictionary that they can have. Another thing is a job analysis. But unless you've been able to identify the gender neutral language, even in doing a job 
analysis, you can see, see gender spilled over. And that's what I'm talking about with gender standards. For instance, normally when you're doing a job analysis, and that's when you're going and you're trying to determine the value of the job, they ask the incumbents question. And those incumbents basically are setting the standard. So think about it. If all the incumbents are male or white male, then those standards are still going to stick. We've got to find a different way of looking at our gender analysis. I'm sorry, our job analysis and to be able to set the qualifications and the descriptions for those jobs. So that is a definitely opportunity for you to consider as we're looking into 2021 and we're asking ourselves, what kind of offerings can we give to our clients? The second thing I want you to think about is when we talk about still in the same line of gender standards, how is that impacting performance? Because what we do again in our performance is we're looking at that standard, which is normally set by a man. And so when Kyle talked about how in sports, that women's sports, we kind of think that they're too slow is because we've been got, we've gotten so accustomed to the hyperness of the sports that have been set by men. Now we have to take that in corporate. Are we also setting performance standards by men? And I'm not by any way saying that we're dumbing down or we're lowering standards because now we're looking at how women are doing their jobs. What I'm saying is that we do it differently. And so therefore we need to measure differently. We've talked about Previously, time and seat, how many times we're measuring people about how long they stay, how many hours they work, how they show up at different places. These standards are male dominated or male influenced. And now we have to look at it differently. I know for many times I've done something called PI performance image in, um, I'm sorry, performance image and exposure. These again are how we are looking at promoting people. But if we're looking at performance is such a small part of the pie, where image and exposure are huge parts of the pie. And these are the parts of the pie that women don't normally have. Our image is usually not uh, considered um, in the way that we need to because we're there judging our interpersonal skills from a masculine perspective. We're not getting exposure because we're not having the right relationships unless we're being sponsored. This is something that you can look at. How are they measuring performance? How are they looking at giving people performance, especially if we're not looking core ethic performance? And is that performance male dominated by, um, in terms of influence? And the third thing, that you can look at is pay. And so I know a lot of times we do uh, gender equity audits, but what I want us to kind of look at this time is in terms of pay is how much of merit pay is really being influenced in, um, in terms of pay and how much of that merit pay when we're talking about it is based on a performance. So we're linking it back to performance that that performance is not a standard that is male dominated and it's not a true standard of the work, but it's then again, a standard that's been set by men. So those are three offerings that you can give. You can look at job descriptions and job analysis. You can then look at performance and then you can look at pay because we still have to have our gender lens on in the midst of everything that's going on. So I'd like to hear from you. What offerings did you feel that you can get out of this recording? That's a wrap. And thanks for joining us for the HR for Her podcast. And if you would like to find more ways for creating a workplace where the women in your organization will thrive, then go ahead and do two things. One, 
download our gender policy checklist at our site, hrforher.com, and find out how your company measures up. And two, subscribe now to our channel and leave a review. We would love to hear from you.